Well, this is, I can't believe it, this is episode number eight. Eight. Yep. Number eight. So on our last episode last week, again, this is Chit Chat with Chitty MD and co-host Ron Nichols. Um, we are here today again. This is episode eight. So I can't believe it's been eight episodes. That's La- two months. Yeah, two months. Two eight. months worth of episodes. Every week. We do it every Friday. You guys get a new episode. We have new special guests. Um, been awesome. We've had some fun guests on, and we're going to continue to do that. I think we're actually going to have different seasons because um, I have some stuff. We're going to talk about this today. I have some stuff coming up related to the boards that I'm dealing with, and so I think we'll probably end this at about maybe episode ten, and then we'll, we'll start do a new season. Two yeah. more episodes after this. Take whatever break you yeah. need, <laughs> and then um, go into okay. it. I, I think I guess even I kind of was thinking about this last night. You know how when uh, like new shows come out, yeah. they have the pilot season. Pilot season is usually like a yeah, much ab- it's a, an abbreviated season. Yeah. So this is kind of like our pilot season. Yeah. So we're gonna do these ten episodes, and then when we come back for the next thing, we'll you know hopefully it'll, it'll turn into a whole year. We'll have fifty-two episodes. That's very awesome. I mean, it might not be because you know we'll have holidays and things in there, but yeah, if but we both. you know we can maybe film multiple times in a week, and that would be my goal is to do fifty-two episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, straight. I think hopefully people are still wanting to listen. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully find interesting things to talk about. We've been getting some consistent viewership and listenership, so it's it's encouraging, yeah. and hopefully we'll just get better as more people become aware that you're divulging all your surgery secrets on here. <laughs> I don't have many secrets, <laughs> but what I do have, I will share. Yeah, that's what I like about plastic surgery. You know, it's there. I'm not saying I'm an artist, but there's a lot of plastic surgery that is not um, cookie cutter. So, for example, today I had a case. I did some stuff I've technically not done before, meaning I haven't had to do like that. Like in the in the field, like like would you have done it as part of like your training, like in school or whatnot? Or um, I mean, I've done s- similar things, but not you know not to what I had because okay. this patient had a problem that I've never encountered, or that's very rare. Um, and so, this is what I like about plastic surgery is that it's the one, like, you know, orthopedic surgery. You think of an orthopedic surgeon, what do you think of? Bone. Okay, if you had to pick one or the I'm glad you didn't wait for me to answer that because. <laughs> what, we just said hammers? No, I, was, I don't know when Chainsaws. it comes to all the, uh, the technical um, fields in yeah, medical, no I, don't rem- I don't know any of them. Like, pediatric, I know that's kids. Kids, perfect. Okay, so right, kids. So, so they do real kids. Um, what is the foot a one? Neuros, uh, there's podiatrists, podiatrists, or there's orthopedic surgeons who specialize in foot ankles. Right, okay. uh, and then there's, let's say, neurosurgeons. You think of brain, right? Brain, spinal cord, spine. I guess neurosurgery, I wouldn't know that. Yeah. Um, vascular surgeons work on blood vessels, like you know, bigger vessels, like aorta and stuff. Um, general surgeons, you know, the, the term general surgery is, I would say it's kind of evolving. It's not so much what it used to be. General surgeons used to do almost like everything. They would mm-hmm. do like orthopedics, ENT type stuff. But that's kind of partitioned out. And even other specialties, you know, are kind of doing that too. So, plastic surgery. When you think plastic surgery, like, well, people think, oh, breast augmentation. Yeah. No, no, no. It's immediate, like that's one to one, one surgery. But you yeah. know, what's the overall? What's the thing that ties plastic surgery together as a specialty? All right. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what plastic <coughs> surgery is. I know you have some stuff, and then I'll talk about what board certification is, and the importance of board certification, in whatever type of specialty of a doctor you're seeing. We'll talk about the differences. I am not yet board certified. I'll talk about that. Why? I'm board eligible. Right? Board eligible. So I've taken my written board exam. I've taken many exams, but I took my actual, the one that counts, written board exam for the American Board of Plastic Surgery. I passed that actually two years ago. Um, and then I had to collect my cases for a nine month period. So as soon as I finished fellowship at USC, went to orthopedic hands. It's almost like doing your, when you're getting your driver's license in school, you yeah. do a driver's test and then you do the field test. Yeah. You passed the, the written test, and now you've been doing two years of a field test, kind of, so to speak. Yeah, for the last nine months in my practice. So one, I was actually practicing on my own as a, you know, I call it attending or my own plastic, as a plastic surgeon in my practice. Every case that I did, I had to log for the American Board of Plastic Surgery. So I did almost 150 cases that were considered major cases. The major cases, so like uh, if a little kid has a cut on their brows, they say, mm-hmm. well, that's not a major case, you know. Right. A lot of stuff they do is not even considered a major case. So these are like like legit full cases. Most cases are anesthesia, they're long cases, they're whatever. Um, and so with the American Board of Plastic Surgery, I submitted all these cases. I gave them what I did for the case, 
you know, any complications that had for the case. I list, I give them all these details, and I submitted that. Then they came back to me um, this past summer, and they said, "Okay, you you did enough cases. I had to have 50 major case minimums, so I almost tripled the amount I needed, right? Um, some people don't get enough cases, which is hey, unfortunate. You know, in their practice, they just don't get enough. So I had enough cases. They selected five of my cases, and they said, "Okay, of your." 300 or whatever cases, these are the five we want you to now put kind of uh, kind of a case report together on those patients. So from beginning until now, what happened? You know, what was the presentation? Why did they come to you? What did you do for surgery? What complications did they have? How did you manage those? Did you get consent? Did you get photo consent? Did you take photos? And it was very, very, very strict on getting photos and post-op. So it's very involved and it's very detailed, you know. And then they want um, also I had to have seven letters of recommendation from people I work with, nurses, anesthesia, people at the hospital, all these letters. Um, I also had to submit every single advertisement I ever put in the last nine months anywhere. My Instagram page, my Facebook page, I send everything to them, you know, to say that I'm not advertising on a board. I'm not board certified, like I said, I'm right. saying that right now on this thing. Same thing. I'm not board certified yet. I'm board eligible. Well, yet is the hope, the promise. Eligible, meaning I'm able to sit to the board, and I'm doing that in like two months. I am honestly exhausted from listening to you <laughs> list those things, let alone <laughs> thinking about you having to do all that. Like, that's an insane amount of effort, which rightly, I mean, it's for the right reasons that you yeah. have to go through that, but like, just listening to that list, I can't imagine like the strain mentally, physically, like you went through to, to do all that. Um, is that a process that you will have to continue throughout your medical career, even after you're initially board certified? Knock on wood that you are board yeah. certified. Yeah. So let's say um, so after I'm when I become board eligible, you know, there's like a eight year period when you're eligible um, that you can take. So let's say I it didn't work out this year for whatever reason, I could do it again the following year. So I can do it several times until I kind of meet a criteria and then pass the board. Um, but once you're become board certified as a plastic surgeon. Okay, we'll talk about other boards soon. But as a plastic surgeon, American Board of Plastic Surgery, there's a 10-year period where you are board certified. And then you have to maintain that through maintenance of certification. So there's tests you have to do. There's things you have to do. It's not the same. I have to go do oral boards again. This is what we call oral boards. And I have to go to Phoenix in November to talk about those five cases that I submitted to professionals in my field who know what they're talking about and they're looking at my cases and they say, why did you do this? You know, what could you have done differently? So they kind of go through my cases and just see if one, the main, the whole purpose is, am I a safe surgeon, right? Is he doing things that's like out of the scope of normality for a plastic surgeon? Okay, so two, is he safe? Does he make good decisions? Um, and you know, three, is he not like trying to con people? You know, so like they're just making sure, again, this is for the public, right? This mm -hmm. is for safety of the public. And this is why you <coughs> see people just harping on it so much of like safety and seeing if, they're bo if we're board certified. So just just to be clear, you still have to do that oral board mm -hmm. process in, in November. Yeah, you're gonna be going to Phoenix for that. Yeah, and is it is it kind of like um, you know I think back to when we were in high school and we'd have mm -hmm. to do like oral report cards or something, right? Um, so you're just I I picture you in this big room with all these fancy people <laughs> behind a desk and they're just they're asking you questions on the spot and you don't get to reference notes or anything. You just have to be able to answer on the fly is that kind of the process yeah there's a couple parts to it so you know in terms of my cases I need to know exactly everything about my patients right I need to know all that information I need to know what type of anesthesia I had you know what without referring to any kind of notes right yeah because they have my stuff so I need to know my stuff the cold um, they're my patients and so I know there's obviously details I want to make sure I know but yeah and it's, it's usually there's two per so there's five cases so each case is in each a different room and it's like with two interviewers Okay, so they don't. Panel. So they don't just necessarily like ask you one question about one case and immediately switch to another one. You can kind of my understanding get is your no, frame of mind of yeah, okay, I'm doing this case. case. Yeah, yeah, like per room, it's like it's each case. I mean, yeah. I guess I I kind of just envision that the purpose. <laughs> oh, not the purpose of this board, but like one of their goals is to try to trip you up, and so they're like, oh, let's ask them this question. Let's go talk about this case and mm -hmm. see if we can get them right. Yeah. But you know, I'll be honest, I. I don't think it's that way. And what I've heard, especially really, you know, because we're plastic surgery is a it's a small specialty relative to a lot of other, you know, it's a small community, and we're trying to help each other out. We're trying to be safe, right? That's the main goal, safety. But also, like, 
we're trying to pr promote plastic surgery in the James Willis favor. So I, it might have used to have been that way, quite honestly. It was very more malignant. But I think that's changed over the years. And so it's way more um, like there's certain goals that each interviewer are trying to meet. They have questions that they have to get answered. Mm -hmm. And so they'll kind of push you through the case to see, you know, to get to, because if we just talk about one thing, then they may not actually know if I'm safe or, you know, so they have to get to a certain point. So try to be very objective. So the, the board exam, you, you go through each of the five cases, is the result of those interviews or oral exams, is, does that, will that determine if you're board yeah. certified or is there another step? You know, what, what does that process look like? I guess you get an email saying, congratulations, you got a 90%. Like, you know, yeah. what, is, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, again, I haven't done it yet, but I, from what I've had, so this is a process that goes back eight years for me. This, this process for the American Board of Plastic Surgery, this is not a, oh, you're board certified. Yeah, this takes eight years. It's like for me, you know, like some other people may be a little bit longer. So I did a fellowship. You had to start extra planning year. for this eight yeah, years so ago. Yeah, so eight years ago when I started as a resident as an intern, I had to sign a paper saying that I was interested in becoming board, you know, I was in a accredited, training program for plastic surgery. So that's the first step is, okay, are you in a program in the United States that's accredited by the ACGME that will get you the cases you need to do? Because I have to be exposed and trained and do a certain breadth of cases mm -hmm. first before I even can even say, okay, one, you graduate plastic residency. So that's part of the requirements is, okay, you have to graduate from an accredited plastic surgery you know, training. Right. So that's the first thing. And that started eight years ago. And so I had to collect all my cases back then. I had to, every week, I had to log every case. So there's over, you know, 3,000 cases in, <laughs> in residency and then uh, over 1,000, 1,200 cases during my fellowship one year. So it was like almost 4,500 different cases or surgeries that I did in the last, you know, seven years of training. And then I come out and I have to do my own cases. So um, that's when that started. And then I had to take a test every year. So they call it in-service exam. Kind of like making sure you're on track. Yeah, you're on track. Is he failing? What's going on? Yeah, because that led up to that written exam for the American Board of Plastic that I took um, after I graduated. Oh, you no, I took that after I graduated. So I had to do that while I was in orthopedic fellowship. I was studying for my written board exam because you take it right after you graduate plastic residency. So some people don't take them; they start working, and so then they're studying while they're working. I was working as a fellow, right. so I had to study. So I passed that. And that's when I became board eligible. So is once you graduated and you passed that, then you're board eligible. Is that test, is it just pass or fail, or do, is it like a, a spectrum of Yeah, of I mean, they give you your um, percentage and kind of like your percentile, like, you mm -hmm. know, where you fall with your other your cohorts, but it's pass or fail. And, but so they have like a certain cutoff cut uh, cut threshold. Is that... So in the world of doctors, does is that percentile anything people ever utilize to position themselves yeah, better? Question. Like, I mean, you know, like when we're in school, we're like, yeah. oh, I got a 3.7. Oh, well, I got <laughs> yeah. a 3.8. Well, you both had you, uh, A minus averages, but one yeah. was a little better, right? So yeah, this goes back to medical school. So residency training bases a lot of you know, getting interviewed and going to different hospitals and seeing if you can be a resident at that program based off of your exam scores in medical school. So there's a step exam, step one through three. That's kind of like the medical school board exams, you know, and that's to see, you know, how well. and so that is huge. So my step one, I did very well, it's like the 99th percentile. So that kind of opened up the opportunity for, because plastics is the most competitive um, residency to get into. Right. You know, so it's dermatology, now I think ENT is, is lower now. Orthopedics is very competitive, but plastics, you know, and it may have changed in the last few years since I've been out of training, but it's always in the top, like, three. Because, one, there's not a lot of spots in the country. You know, there's maybe, when I applied, there were 85 spots in the whole country for plastics residents, and there was, like, I don't know, 300-something applicants, you know, versus, like, internal medicine, so like, 30,000 spots. So that's 85 resident spots across all the plastic United programs in the U.S. I, I guess like out when of all I, the medical schools when you were going when you were in your residency I guess I just envisioned that you were like amongst like 12 other residents at the same time and so yeah. that like changes like that perspective like were you literally the only resident or how many other plastic surgeon residents did you work with during your residency yeah so I had there were in my year there were two of me and one other okay. person uh, Dr. Ford so that's um, crazy that makes it 
even more prestigious than we already thought it was. Well, it, it's just <laughs> so, so competitive to, yeah, to get in, you know, it's just there's not spots. I mean, you, you don't have a spot. So I'm interviewing as many places as I can. You know, I think I went on like 13 interviews or something, and I tried to do as many as I could. But you thought, no, you just you try to get in. You want to be a plastic surgeon, and they're all accredited programs, you know, so you'll be, you'll be able to be board certified and things. But, um, yeah, so, I, you know, that's the step exam was huge because that's that was kind of their threshold. They're like, well, you know, the score goes from, I don't know, like 185 up to like 270 or something, some weird numbers. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, they some places <coughs> say, well, the cutoff is 240. Like, if you're not above 240, we're not going to look at your application. Right. You know? uh, but because they, they don't know, because it's the same thing. It's like there's so many good applicants. Like, I don't know, this guy's like an Olympic swimmer. This guy, they you have know. to have some way to filter it down initially yeah. before yeah. they start exactly doing deeper dive analysis. Yeah. So that started early on, then they got me into like plastic residency training, and then from there going to the fellowship. Fellowships are very competitive too. You know, like where I went, there was two spots, but again, same thing. There's not a lot across the country. Um, probably a little less competitive, but I w- so for me, the problem is, is I applied to an orthopedic fellowship at USC. So it's an orthopedic department and upper extremity fellowship. They do a lot of plastics too. They did free flaps mm-hmm. and tissue stuff. That's why I like that program and picked that as my number one to go to. Because it's a match system too, right? You know, so it's like I rank the places I liked, and then they rank who they liked, and then if some weird computer algorithm and it matches us. Just as a side note, I know this they do the same thing with med school, right? Yep. yep. And when you had first told me about that, you going through it, it like I would love to get behind the scenes and see what that algorithm is doing because that just sounds so bizarre for it to oh, be med, well, so for it to be the way different. people are chosen. Well, okay, to get into med school is different. Med school is you could oh get yeah, like I guess five not offers. med school residency. Yeah, residency. residency. And then fel- yeah, residency fellowship same. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And it's this yeah. match thing. So I rank U- yeah. USC 1, Utah yep. 2. Yep. But Utah ranked me yeah. 7 and yep. USC ranked me but 3. But then the guy that they ranked 1 or the right. girl, she ranked it 3. Yeah, it's, I don't know how they plug it in. I don't get it. It's voodoo. But it somehow works. So I ended up going to my number one USC, but because it's orthopedic, most of the applicants when I was there were orthopedic residents. No, so there's, no a, there's a ton of doing more. Plastics, right? Yeah, they don't do plastics. Yeah, mm-hmm. they want to do hand upper extremity because they don't want to do the joints and stuff. So there's this crossover there mm-hmm. too. Okay. Um, and so there's a ton more orthopedic residents in the country. Still competitive, but there's just way more. You know, it's like I think 75% or more of the applicants when I applied were like orthopedic residents. For USC. Yeah. 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 Actually, yeah, most of the people that applied at USC were, um, were ortho. Yeah. So my co-fellow, she, um, she was ortho. So, so uh, like, if you were to see another, you know, if you're just at a dinner party with yeah. uh, a bunch of plastic surgeons, like, you're, I know there's conferences you attend with yeah. plastic surgeons and stuff like that. Is that, a, is that a question you might ever hear someone say, like, oh, what was your, your board score? Do you think? Um, I, I think... After that point, the board score doesn't matter. Now, the board score still matter for fellowship. It does not matter after You're that. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I so, I'm sorry. My, so, my step exam score that I took in med school mattered for fellowship, too. The same as you did for residency. Mm-hmm. But after fellowship, and then once you're practicing, or, you know, either you're working at an academic hospital, you're working at a community hospital, you're working at private practice, those scores don't matter anymore. You know, it th- doesn't matter. They just look, you're, you're board certified at then some point. That's the next, yeah. That's all they... Is yeah. significant to them. Yeah, and you still have to meet. So you know, I'm going to get scored for my oral exam too. So I have to still meet the criteria to pass that, and they'll tell you my percentile, you know, amongst other applicants and things. But yeah, I have to be able to score well enough to do that. Now, they have my five cases that I have to know cold. What I've been doing now is st- I got actually after this I have to go study. So last night I had a study group. So I have there's like seven or eight other plastic surgeons across the country that we formed a group, a study group, mm-hmm. and we all skyped kind of together, and we go over what we call unknown cases. So there's a ton of cases, you know, from head to toe, because plastic surgery is everything, right? Yeah, I do a lot of aesthetics here and hand, but there's a ton of crust lip, crust palate, you know, abdominal wall hernias, chest wounds, head wounds, all these things that we do, cancer, <coughs> all that stuff that's part of our training, and so I have to know all that stuff too, even though I don't do it every day, you know? And so there's these unknown cases, and so we've been studying those together kind of go through and talk about these cases and there's like you know study resources but that's a huge component of the board too like I don't even know what they're gonna ask they'll throw up a picture there and I have to like tell them what it is are you you doing that to prepare for like the unpredictability of what they're gonna ask you yeah because I have no idea just to like help keep your brain like on its toes of 
yeah, being able to like think of something on the spot is that like the purpose of the study group? Yeah. So like for example, last night we went through um, wounds, right? So we we do a lot of wound treatment, like you know, for example, a cardiothoracic surgeon, <coughs> they may do like a, a bypass for a patient, you know, because they had a heart attack or their one of the arteries in their heart, the coronary arteries is like clogged, so they they bypass it, right? So they have to go through the the sternum to get there. They do a little. They can break down, and get infected. These wounds open up. You're staring at the heart. Open wound, like what do we do? So they call a plastic surgeon. We would take muscle flaps, like say for the pectoralis muscles, place them in there, take the rectus muscle, take the omentum from the abdomen. There's different ways to treat it, but I have to be able to say, you know, like, how would I treat this? You know, what do I look for? What do I, you know, if something happens, how do I do that? I have to know all that stuff. So we were doing that last night. We talked about both sores on the behind, abdominal, hernias, you know, we treat all this stuff. So yeah, just going through that because I, I don't do that every day. I did a lot of residency training, but that's not my everyday thing. You know. So once the <coughs> the oral boards come and you've done it and whatever the results are, like let's just say it, it is a pass. You know, you do pass. Mm -hmm. um, is there what do you what do you think you're gonna feel like then? Is there gonna be like a huge sigh of relief? Is it gonna <laughs> be like? Do you, are you gonna immediately feel like you have less day to day worries because maybe you don't need to track? the cases in as much detail like what do you envision yeah, that's that a question. so even right now because I'm not you know I collected my cases up until April submitted them right I there definitely was a little bit of like sigh of relief like okay like you know obviously I'm not having excluding cases but what I've been doing though is I, I every case I still treat it as if so like a now minimum detail yeah no I, I still treat it as if I'm collecting my boards because I, I figure every patient deserves you know the same care for me the best right. care so to me, the best care is to always think of, okay, if I'm board certified or whatever, if I ever become board certified, how would I treat my patient? You know, there's criteria that I look for. So I try to do that same thing for every patient. So I haven't changed that at all, you know. And, and quite honestly, I had a patient the other day, I said, you know, I, if I become board certified, like you said, it's not going to change my practice. I feel like I'm doing everything I can to be a safe surgeon. You know, obviously, like, I always take criticism. I try to learn. I'm constantly trying to learn and still learning. But... Like it's not going to change like it just how provides I, how I that operate. extra assurance for new clients that are coming yeah. in like hey you know you know they c they come in they get to know you some people come in because they mm -hmm. they think they know you from you know seeing you around and mm -hmm. they have they have that trust in you but now they'll yeah. also see oh he's also yeah. board certified yes. I know he's gone to the highest levels of training and yeah. approval that I can m even trust him even more to operate on yeah. And that's why I want to do it, you know. I mean, I worked with some surgeons in my training that are not board certified to this day. They chose not to. It's a voluntary thing. The American board does not make you do it. Now, certain hospitals, for me to be able to operate the hospitals, one of the criteria is that I have to be board certified or board eligible. So my board eligibility is only for eight years. So at some point, let's say I'm, never, let's say I'm like, oh, I just don't want to do this. Well, after my eligibility period runs out and I don't get board certified, well, then the hospital will say, well, you're not board certified in your specialty, you can't. Um, so I always want to maintain that because for my patients, like I tell them, and this is the one thing I tell patients to ask if they see other surgeons, you know, whether it's a plastic surgeon or a non-plastic surgeon pretending to be a plastic surgeon. Cosmetic surgeon. Yeah, cosmetic surgeon. We'll talk about that in a minute. Ask that surgeon, because it's very basic, to say, this surgery that you're going to do in your accredited facility, because we have an operating room here, right? It's, it's quad ASF certified, meaning so we've gone through the accreditation process that we're here to make sure that it's safe for the patients. We're meeting criteria that they've established. Um, and so for the boards, I have to operate out of a, a cr accredited facility. I can't just go operate, you know, in my in garage. Somebody's house. Or even an even a, even a office that has an OR but that's not accredited, right. I can't operate there. Those cases would not have counted to me. So, um, yeah, so operating there, but ask ask the doctor. Okay, this is a very important question. It's very easy, plastic surgeon, to say, okay, this breast augmentation that you want to do on me, is this surgery something you could do at a hospital locally? Will a hospital let you do this same surgery as a plastic surgeon in that hospital? And then that tells you whether or not that it's a board-eligible surgery. Yep, if they're actual plastic surgeon or if they are like an oral surgeon saying that they're a plastic right. surgeon or cosmetic okay. Hospitals are very strict because they they follow the Ameri the ABMS. So ABMS is is the Board of Medical Specialties kind of accrediting body to say okay, there are 24 specialties. You know, let's say ophthalmologists, right? American Board of Ophthalmology, American Board of Pediatrics, American Board of Gynecology, American Board of Ear, Nose, Throat, American Board of Plastic Surgery. 24 recognized 
24s, okay? Um, and those specialties were things. So the hospitals use those 24, and they say, okay, are you in one of these 24? Okay, if you are, then those surgeries under that board are ones that you can potentially do. So if I was an OBGYN, and I was in my office here, and I want to do a tummy tuck, I could do it because it's my office. I can go where I want in my office. But if I go to the hospital and I say, I want to do a tummy tuck on my patient, they'll say, are you a plastic surgeon? No. Gynecologists do not have privileges to do tummy tucks in a hospital. So that's why you can ask your surgeon, are you, can you do a tummy tuck in your office as you could do at the hospital? If they know, they say, well, what are you then? Because they'll say, well, I'm a cosmetic surgeon. Cosmetic surgeon is not a real specialty. Cosmetic surgery, aesthetic surgery, is a small portion of what we train and do as plastic surgeons. It's very small. You know, like I was saying, I have all these things we've been studying. If you look at their cosmetic surgery, all of a broad area, right, head to toe, there's only a percentage of what we do as plastic surgeons. It's good to know the little tricks. Not that yeah. I'll be needing, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. And if I do, I, I think I know somebody that can help me, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the important thing. I'm not, I try to educate patients that, you know, I, every patient doesn't have to come to me. You know, when I see patients, and they're not shopping around, but they want to get to feel for different plastic surgeons or different offices, or see if they kind of vibe, or they can, you know, whatever it is, and you kind of have to click. It's kind of like a, it's like a dating game almost, you know? Right. And so I realize, like, not every person's gonna come to me. That's fine, you know, I'm, I don't want to operate on every person, because they might be a good candidate, or I can't, in my hands, do what maybe they're looking for that maybe some other plastic surgeon can do, you know? So I get that. Um, but my thing for patients is, look, if you're gonna go somewhere else, please make sure that they're an actual plastic surgeon. You know, they're board eligible, board certified. So that's kind of that stamp of approval from the American board to say that they're, you know, they're at least considered safe and they know what, at least they think, they think they know what they're doing, you know. So, I mean, like you pointed out, you, you try to take the patient's interest, you know, as the priority, you know, mm -hmm. so like you'll recommend that they go, you know, or maybe not recommend, but you know, you're willing to let them know that hey, there might be someone else better for you. you oh know, whatever yeah. the case may be. Do you ever have someone that comes in and almost wants you to convince them to get surgery? Like they want the surgery, mm -hmm. but like they're torn and they almost are like instigating you to to get them to better. make them to yeah. come in. You know what I mean? Um, not really. I've not seen that. But you know, for me as a plastic surgeon, I. I used to do sales, like I told you in the last podcast. I worked in the mall growing up, and I did a lot of sales. And I was actually really good at it. Sold really well in retail. But as a plastic surgeon, that is not my role. I am the surgeon. I'm the physician. I'm here to advise someone on what I think is safe for them in terms of surgery. I, they'll come in and say, you know, I, I think I want this. Or, you know, they don't know, and they want to come in. I'm not here to convince anybody. You know, I'm not here to say, yeah, you need this. And I would never point out something to someone. If they came in for their breath, I'd say, oh, you need a rhinoplasty. Your nose is terrible. I would never do that. I don't ever point out things that are irrelevant to what their concerns are. So I would never push anybody for surgery. And, and you know, in code of ethics and things, that's, you know, American Board of Plastic Surgery, AFPS, the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, these are all code of ethics things as well that, you know, I've re read, tried to memorize and know, you know, things that we should shouldn't do. I would never do that. I think you, you've mentioned some, a couple of cases, I mean, in the past where, like, you've actually had to turn people away because you didn't feel comfortable with either the request or the circumstances that the surgery would have needed, would yeah. have required, right? Yeah, so there, there's certain patients, you know, it's always to me about are you a good candidate or a good fit for the surgery that you're seeking, right? And am I a, a good, good enough, not good enough surgeon, but am I a surgeon that can provide that for you? And so those are things that I'm always thinking of, and that's what I'll talk to patients about. Um, and. Yeah, I've had some patients where, you know, not that the expectations are unreasonable, but that either I felt it was unsafe for them or that the result that they were seeking was something that I couldn't provide them. Because, you know, I don't want to ever, that's another thing too for me, it's uh, setting expectations up front with the patient. And I say that, I say, look, we're going to talk about your breast surgery today. We're going to talk about breast augmentation, what your desires are. And let's talk about expectations of surgery. You know, what is it that you're looking for? You know, like how big of breast are you looking for? How much of a cleavage are you wanting? These are all things I talk about. And if they want something that I can't deliver, I'll tell them, like, look, you know, this is what I can do. This is what I think, based off of your anatomy, things you can accomplish. But, like, you know, if they want something else, then I'm not going to do it. Because I don't want to disappoint them, you know? It's not, to me, it's not about money. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going right. to do all these cases to make money. I want to have patients who are happy, who I, you know, I've established relationships with them. And it's for years, you know? And my breast augmentation patients, like, I'll see them every year as long as they have implants in. I want to check on them. So, 
you know, once you got my patient, you're my kind of part of the family, you know. So I kind of you're invested in in their long term health. At yeah, that point. like it's like selective and who I operate on too. I think that's one of the something I told me before, but one of the hardest things I think to do as a surgeon is to know when to not operate on someone. Because you can be, you can just operate everybody, you know? I mean, you can go down there, oh yeah, you need surgery, you need surgery, you need surgery. It might not be the right thing for them. It might not be the right time for them. And some patients come in and, you know, like they want a tummy tuck. And I say, look, you're really close to, um, you know, your weight. Like if you could just lost a few more pounds, I think your outcome would be spectacular. Right. I think you'd be much happier to get your money's worth, you know? Um, but that's something I can't do for the patient, you know? And so like, yeah, I could operate on you right now. I just don't think you're gonna be as happy if you, if you lost pounds because sometimes you have intra-abdominal fat things I think you'd have a nicer contour I think it'll we'll be able to get more tissue off you know there's different reasons why and so and I've done that I said let's let's wait and you know because again like they come in they may end up going somewhere else because somebody do it I, that's up to them but I want them to have a really good result be happy I know I've seen a couple where like it seemed like they wanted multiple things done at once but because of the circumstances you did one thing first and then six to nine months later you did the second procedure that they initially wanted done, and yeah. it seems like that. Even though you have a longer period of overall recovery time, right? It, but it's a safer, safer way to go in that situation. Yeah, right? and I tell you, it's all about safety. You know, like I saw some consults yesterday in my clinic. You know, one person, yeah, wants a lot of stuff done, and I said, look, this is what I think I can reasonably do in six hours or less. So six hours is, is kind of the cutoff that we use in an outpatient or an ambulatory surgery center, right, not in a hospital, of surgical time. You know, over that, then it starts to be a long case, a lot of anesthesia, patients have a hard time waking up, they should probably be admitted overnight if they don't wake up enough in cases, you know, it could be more dangerous. So right. try to stick to six hundred. So I, that's what I do, I say, look, we can do this safely. Or sometimes it's like, look, I can't safely put implants and lift to your breast at the same time, whether it's because of the size of your areolas or the size of the implants you want. There's a lot of reasons. So I say I may stage it. So I do some staging too. Like I'll break surgery up three months, six months. Um, or some patients have something done. Like I tell me like, you know what, I want my breast done now. So I'll come back six months later. So there's different reasons. But yeah, definitely. I, I think it's safer. And you, know, you mentioned um, maybe more recovery time. And I do talk about patients like, look, yeah, I mean, ideally, if you did everything in one surgery, you'd have one recovery period. But that period of recovery may, ma may actually may be harder than if we broke it up, and I've done that. So, you know, especially some patients who are a little bit older, like I've broken up breast reductions with a tummy tuck, and they did great from each, you know, like the breast, like a couple days, they're, they're sore. Tummy, one or two days, you know. It's like a maximum level of tolerance our bodies can yeah. handle of, of exactly. pain or fatigue yeah. or soreness. And I take into account, like I said, age, what other health problems do they have? And so there's all these things that go into it. You know, I don't just like make up, stuff. at least in my mind, I don't make it up. I try to do it based off of, you know, like scientific research in the plastic community and, you know, studies that said, oh, well, you know, your, your BMI is a certain level. Well, some studies have shown that you're high risk for infection or wound breakdown or fluid collection or, you know, whatever it is. And so those are the things I try to use and say, look, I, I think we should have saved it up for your safety. You had one uh, tummy tuck that you showed the other day on Instagram mm -hmm. with nine months post-op. Yeah. And, like, that one was incredible because, like, had I seen the, the you know, the after picture right. nine months later or I've seen him, seen him in person, you would have never thought anything that they yeah. had because especially if you've seen the before, like, the before, it was a significant change. And, and I don't know if how much, if any, exercise happened over that nine mm -hmm. months, but, like, it just, it looked like a, a gym-toned stomach. Amazing. And I was like, wow, that, that, that was one of the more impressive ones, I think, because some yeah. of the ones I see are, it seems so minor. I'm like, oh, why, yeah. you know, why did you, I'm, I'm curious as to what their reasoning to get it at that point, because it doesn't seem significant. Mm -hmm. But this one was a huge change, and I was like, that's crazy. Yeah, I, and I've noticed, so I, I really like tummy tuck surgery, you know, I mean, it has a little <coughs> bit higher, it does have a little higher risk of blood clots and DVT, so I always, again, for safety reasons, screen for that, or treat patients to prevent those things from happening. Um, but I like, call it the gift that keeps on giving, because tummy tucks, you know, I do combine with some liposuction, like over time, to me, they look better and better, you know, and like you said, you see them look more toned, and I don't know, and I think some patients get more motivated too, and there was yeah, one I, I posted a few weeks ago, you know, it's like one of the first surgeries I did here, you know, she's over a year out now. And you look at her before and after, you're like, that's not the same person. Like, it is not the same person. 
but she just got so fit after, so motivated after having the tongue tuck and breast and stuff. It's so awesome. Well, it's like, you know, you pay, you pay a lot of money to, you know, get these results from you, and, you know, you don't want to let it slip right back to where it was, right? Because, uh, yeah. you know, the motivation is there partly because you spend a lot of money, but partly, too, you love how you look now. And yeah. So it's like, oh, I got to keep oh this because yeah. yeah, I, I just love how I feel, you know, yeah, when I look totally. in the mirror. So. Um, <coughs> so next week you're going on a trip, and, and it just reminded me that uh, – I think I don't. I think it was when you were in med school, mm-hmm. and maybe when you were trying. You were. It was either med school or end of school when you're trying to figure out what medical school you were going. To. I can't remember what it was, but you went to Harvard for like a week oh, yeah. or two, right? Something yeah, like. Yeah, uh, like I went there for days. four weeks. So okay, four I weeks was even more. Yeah, I was in medical school, and I was so as part of kind of interviewing, getting ready for plastic surgery, um, residency interviews to get into to match for residency. Um, people do what's called away rotation. So you, I, I would actually left here for four weeks and went and stayed with one of my friends who, used to, who was a general surgery resident at Mass General Hospital. Mm-hmm. So yeah, at Harvard, you only had like Mass General, Brigham Women, Beth Israel, and maybe Children's Hospital or whatever. So you had a ton of hospitals, all under the Harvard kind of system. Mm-hmm. But MGH is one of them. And so I stayed with my friend there who, for a month. And it's kind of an audition. It's like an audition for a month. I'd go, I'd get like 3.30 every morning, go get numbers, get everything ready, and just like you always have to be at your A-game for four weeks. It's, it's hard, you know. So I, um, I but it was a great experience. I always wanted to go back east and just to see like what East Coast kind of vibe was versus here. And that's mm-hmm. why I went out there and had that friend. It was cool. So I brought that up because the trip you're going on is to Stanford. Oh, yeah. And that's like the Harvard of the West, right? And yeah. so like I, it just from, you know, a step back perspective like to me that's just so cool that you get to go partake in these you know historic institutions mm-hmm. and you know add it to your list of you know accomplishments and, and so forth and so like talk to us about what, what are you going to be doing at Stanford yeah so I'm going to Stanford there's a it's actually an Ouroboros like review course so <laughs> I paid for this thing so that's why I'm going there so we'll take your money I guess to go to Stanford but um I'm going there, and actually all the people in my study group, all these plastic surgeons across the country, are all going as well, so we're all going to be there at the same time. Essentially, I'm going to sit for a week straight and go through all these unknown cases, go through my cases, they're going to kind of ask me, and kind of help prepare me for my old boards, because I do not have time. You know, like, I'm trying to run a private practice, uh, we, you know, we're doing this podcast, I do Instagram, like I told you, it's like a part-time job, and I have a family, I have three kids, and you do too, and so... I don't have time. So, like, I sit down to study with this group. It's, like, one, two hours. Like, I don't even know. And then I have my church duties, you know. So there's so much. You so have I just to need like a week to dedicate. You have to yeah, like I have to build it out. Physically build it out. Otherwise, you can't get yeah, it. Yeah. And so I did that for medical school. And this is why I kind of thought I, I wanted to do this. Because some people are like, it's not worth it. To me, it's worth it because when I was in medical school, getting ready for my first step one exam, you know, like, at the time, I didn't know I wanted to do plastic surgery. Because, again, I, I mentioned in the last podcast, I thought I wanted to do cardiothoracic. But as I was studying with my friends, they were so dedicated. And you're like, you know, and I, I didn't, I had no aspirations like, oh, I want to get the highest score or anything. I wanted to do well, but I didn't know really what I wanted to do. So my whole goal was, you know what, I'm going to do as well as I can and then, you know, decide from there. Do my third year, all my rotations, and see what specialty I like. If it's psychiatry, great. If it's family medicine, great. That's what I do well on the exam. But we went down to St. George for like a week, me and a few of my friends that we studied together. And we literally studied like, hours a day, 14 hours a day. Just that I memorized a book of like 400 pages, literally memorized it. <laughs> it helped me a lot because, you know, between that and studying everything, I was able to kind of put it together. And so I did really well on my step one exam. And I really, and it kind of opened my eyes like, well, like even things like, I never even considered plastic surgery, like for dermatology, like I have an opportunity. I like, can at least like look at it and if I'm interested, it's an, I have a chance, you know, like it's not guaranteed at all, but at least my foot could be in the door. Um, and so I kind of, for the board, I thought, you know, I'd like to just dedicate that week. And yeah, I mean, if you've, you like you said, you've been planning for this moment, so to yeah. speak, for the last eight years. Yeah. You've spent, you know, even longer in post-high school mm-hmm. schooling. Yeah. And it's like, it would be silly not to, yeah. uh, to spend one week yeah. just to give yourself that much more of a chance to make this success on the yeah. first try. Yeah, and, and again, at the end of the day, it's voluntary, but I want to do this for my patients, you know, to say, like, look, I'm trying to Give them to more comfort. Yeah, like, exactly. Again, I don't think it's going to change 
what I do, what you know, because I thought I had great training at Mobile Ninja. You know, I we literally did like all aspects of plastic surgery, which was awesome. And then just add on top of that my hand specialty training. So I feel like very, <coughs> like I was very well trained, and I feel like I retained a lot of that, and I have a lot of the techniques and principles. And that's what I wanted to mention at the beginning. You know, plastic surgery is not a specific organ system. It is a principle-based specialty because it's more of you know, I, le I learned, I gained all the tools in my tool belt to be a plastic surgeon, and then it's figuring out what tool to use or how to use a tool or make a new tool to do that surgery. So like I said, today, I did a case I've never done before, but I had the tools in my tool belt. I had done many similar surgeries differently, but today I had came across a, a problem, and that's why I love plastic surgery. It's, it's a problem-solving specialty. There wasn't a book to tell you how to do there it. There was you no book to, to tell me. skills to yeah, figure and, out the best and come up with you know something new even you know so um, that's what I love about the funny Seinfeld innovation. like I know you love Seinfeld <laughs> yeah. and there's a he, he did it was one of these jokes a long time ago where he's like you know you go into a doctor's office and he like looks and he's like okay I'll, I'll be right back and he goes into his office and he gets out of the room he's like yeah. oh what the hell were you uh, like googling yeah, like, yeah oh I've never seen that before like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's before Google they would have googled it now yeah yeah uh, I, I will knock on whether I've never had to Google anything in surgery. <laughs> now I've been in surges other surgeons who had Googled, <laughs> but um, I try to go into every case prepared. But you never know what you're gonna run into. Yeah. You know, even today, like I said, you run into things, and so it's like, okay, take a step back. What are the principles that I know about what I'm doing? You know, anatomy is very important. You have to know where you're at at all times. You know, even in the hand, like when I'm operating on a finger, for example, or in the hand, I have to. I always am thinking, okay. You know, there are the flexor tendons right here. There's the palmaris, you know, aponeurosis here. There's the median nerve down here, branches here. There's the arterial blood vessels here. There's the lumbricals. Like, I'm constantly in my mind just going through the anatomy as I'm doing things because one millimeter off, you're going to, you know, either kill the hand or paralyze the hand. And it's crazy seeing those hand videos because, like, I hear you specifically calling out all those little, mm -hmm. you know, pieces of the hand. And to me, you know, a layman, I'm like, there's just a bunch of there's just a bunch of uh, muscle and like, and then all of a sudden you grab the tendon and start making the hands move or whatever. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I wouldn't have known that's what that was. You know, like it, you know, looks like a piece yeah. of just fatty tissue or something. You know, so it's it's crazy that you know it it puts in a new light of respect for like the knowledge you have of those intricate things. Like it's just on another level. It, and that's, I think that's why I love, that's what drew me to it, because there was just so much. Like, I felt like something I could, could never get bored of, you know? Like, even, I mean, let alone hand surgery, but even breast surgery or anything, like, it is different every time, like today, like I said. It is totally different, and so I just love that I would never be bored of what I do. So, one of the, it's an interesting thing, like, you know, you, you, you talk frequently about this difference between cosmetic and plastic. And yeah. And, you know, the stereotype is you hear plastic surgery, you think fake boobs, you know, mm -hmm. breast augmentation. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, though, if plastic surgery, you know, knowing now plastic surgery is so much more than that, how did that name evolve to that? Like, why is there not something more, I guess, encompassing? Yeah. Uh, because you hear plastic, you think plastic, you know, implants, right? Yeah. Or silicone implants. Like, the name plastic and implants just seems to go so good, which is why I think people have that connection. Yeah. But do you know, like, how that name, like, why so that I mean, evolved to that? So, I mean, the word plastic is, that, you know, it's Greek, plastikos, to mold or to shape. So that's where this all started. You go back to, like, India, Shashruta, there's these documents, you know, where they talked about nasal reconstruction, people getting their nose, you know, some people are lepers, their, their noses right. would fall off. Or even like in uh, Italy, like in the you know 15, you know Renaissance and those that time period, these guys would run around cutting noses off. You know they did had red hairs and they cut their nose off. So that's when all of plastic surgery, plasticos to mold and to shape the body was kind of started. So that's where they, that term plastics came from. And then you know the specialty, you know technically it's like plastic and reconstructive surgery. You know must be plastic surgery. So reconstructive, and a lot of it was initially based to reconstructive only, right? So all these early things are reconstructing the nose. I mean, there is a cosmetic or aesthetic component to that, right? To have a nose right. in the center of your face, to not have a hole, to be able to breathe, to be functional, to do all these things, right? But, um, and that's how it kind of evolved. And I think, you know, and if you kind of add in there, okay, now you're talking about breast implants. So, you know, 
actually in Germany, this guy named Zerny, Z-E-E-R-N-Y, he was one of the first kind of guys to do um, breast augmentation. He actually took a fatty tumor, like a lipoma type of thing from this lady's hip, and put it into her breast to give her more breast volume because she had some breast asymmetry for whatever reason. And that was like the first breast augmentation. And then you come to Dow Corning and then the creation of um, silicone breast implants, the first generation. Now, this, now you're going like to the 50s. Okay, so that's kind of the first one. And it's kind of like the iPhone, you know, or iPhone 11, Pro, Max, whatever now. You know, there's, we're up to like the fifth generation implants over the last several decades. And, um, you know, implants, I think, just because it became so well known and well, well kind of it's in the, the media. It's the most obvious and one, right? Obvious. Like somebody, somebody walks yeah. in with, with new implants and like, it can be. You, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what they're wearing. Like, you know, okay, that person has implants, right? So I think it, it's just Maybe. more obvious. Yeah. And so then, like, and you I know, you may not know someone had nose surgery. Yeah. You may not know somebody had something done to their hand. Yeah. So maybe it was just like an obvious surgery that then, oh, plastic surgeon's done that, oh, okay, plastic, you know. Yeah, implants. and I think a lot of it is media-driven. You know, if you think, again, around the 50s, you know, this is, again, after, after World War II, so, you know, hand surgery started World War II, if you kind of look at timelines, you know, mm -hmm. because, you know, armies, like, there were seven U.S. Naval Army hospitals kind of set up, doing orthopedic, hand, um, plastic, and general surgeons, kind of treating these war wounds from war veterans in World War II. So that's when hand started, but then you go into the 50s, and then when implants were coming around, and you think of how culture changed the United States, you know, in terms of, you know, people actually wearing swimsuits and even the bikini that was invented, you know, this is like French guy in America. And so now we're in bikinis. Well, now in a bikini, uh, breasts, like I said, more are more prominent. maybe more prominent. And so, you know, I think it's a cultural thing as well. And then because it's cosmetic and it's cash, there's this aspect to it that's financial that I think other specialties started to see and say like, hey, I want to do that. Right. Why am I here billing insurance for this, getting paid twelve dollars for this case or for seeing a patient? Well, I could actually do a surgery, even though I'm not a surgeon, <laughs> um, whatever. But I could do this, get cash for it out of my office, and, and you know. And so that's where this whole cosmetic thing I think kind of started and brewed. Is like, well, okay, I'm not a plastic surgeon. I can't call myself that, but there is a cosmetic thing to it, right? So I can call myself a cosmetic surgeon. And that's where like, you know, there's like cosmetic boards and things. Those are not, again, ABMS certified right. or anything the word cosmetic in it is not. Now we, as a plastic surgeon, we typically use the word aesthetic. So aesthetic to me is kind of more encompassing than right. cosmetic or a little different term. So typically hear me say like aesthetic, you know. Yeah, I know. I always find surgery. myself being uh, defensive if I'm, if I'm like talking about you to like family or mm -hmm. friends and, and you know, I'm saying, oh, you're a plastic surgeon. I'm always def hesitant to use that word mm -hmm. because I know what the stereotype is of what they think plastic yeah. is. And like, to me, it's like, no, I, I don't <laughs> want, I want to make sure you get your full credit because, <laughs> you know, what you do is way beyond a cosmetic surgeon. And so um, I just thought it's interesting that it makes sense, the origin of the word plastic yeah. in that environment and like how it just happened to perfectly yeah. align with that stereotype is, I yeah. guess, unfortunate because I think you guys who are real plastic surgeons deserve much more credit than what the layman might think a plastic surgeon is. Yeah, and to me at the end of the day, you know, yeah, even if a plastic surgeon is all they do is breast augmentation, that's fine. But they have the, the reconstructive knowledge and skills if something were to go wrong. And that's why I tell patients is look, you know, I, I don't care, like you can say whatever whatever you want with plastic surgeons, but I want you to know that I have the training so that if you had a problem, if you had a hematoma, if you had an infection, if you had, you know, implant drops, if you're symmetric, I know how to correct it. Or at least, you know, I have colleagues and I have the knowledge and the resources to be able to do that. I'm not just going to ship you off to the emergency room and say, go see a plastic surgeon, you know, because for one, they can't see you there. So I also tell patients, look, if you have a, a complication, can your surgeon treat you at the hospital? Can he say, meet, he or she, meet me at the ER, I'm going to admit you and we're going to have to take you off in the room and then keep you in the hospital. No, because they won't have privileges to do that for a, well, pl what a would happen plastic surgeon. What would happen in that scenario? I've gotten before. They um, they call me when I'm on call. I'm the plastic oh, okay. surgeon on call. They say, hey, we have so, 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 they, so may have, they may have another doctor, but they have to go to the hospital. Yeah. Their doctor can't operate. Their doctor cannot. They call whoever's on yep. call yeah. to come so work. So now I am dealing with another non-plastic surgeon who did a aesthetic procedure on a patient's complication. I can treat that, and I've done that, and you know, help patients, but... You know, it's 
you know, in the medical community, and it's not very collegial. You know, if you don't have somebody to do what you're trying to do, then, you know, if you can't fully care for your patient, why are you doing it? I'm not going to go do a open heart surgery on my patient. I've done it in training. <laughs> I'm not going to go do it on my patient. Well, I, I you know, I, I'm not going to brain surgery. I'm not going to go take out someone's gallbladder. You know, I've done 50, 60, 70 of them. It made me think of, I, I was thinking about this earlier. If, if you weren't doing plastics or hand, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you would necessarily be qualified for, but what would be the what would be another field that you are most closely qualified to do? Like whether that meant you had to go do an additional training, but like what could you pick up and go do outside of plastics or hand if you had to? And even if that involved additional training, like what are you the closest aligned to outside of plastics and hand? That you yeah, I think I mean for me, because there was one point in plastics training where it was so intense, I was like. I want to do something else. I just it, it was in my mind. I mm-hmm. talked to Mickey about it. I never was serious, but I remember thinking like, if if this didn't work out for me, what would I do? You know, I actually thought about that, and I think it's kind of more a personality thing because there are some components of my training that you know align with orthopedic surgeries. Sorry, orthopedics or you know vascular surgery because there's a lot of cross you know, crossover there. Um, EMT there's crossover when we do head and neck cancer, facial trauma, all these things. You know, so there's a, there are some crossover areas in these specialties. Which, yeah, I guess that would be the easy way to say, well, I could, you know, orthopedics, I think, would align. You know, there's a lot of things there I like, and maybe neurosurgery, there's some components to it. Um, I think at the end of the day, I'd probably, if I were to shift or not be able to do plastics, I'd probably just, not just, but I would probably shift my focus away from even surgery. If, it, if I couldn't do plastic surgery, I would not do surgery. I think I'd do something because like that'd be too sad that I couldn't do it. Would it be like a, a general, like a family practitioner type situation? Uh, I probably wouldn't be very good at that. I don't know, actually. I I haven't thought. I think about you have definitely have the personal personality for it, like, because yeah, I definitely. I think like you know I, I think of family doctors and like to me that's yeah you know all they're in some sense they're supposed to be part of your family, right? Like you yeah. have to feel like you can talk to them yeah like that closely. And I think you, at least personality wise, you you could do that whether yeah, whether you want to it's a lot of knowledge. Yeah, and they have, that's a lot of knowledge for them too, you know, and yeah, it's definitely a lot of learning for me. I think I, I, it'd be fun to do on some level. I don't know if I'd be good at it, but maybe personality. Maybe, right. maybe they could be, uh, you know, they got that show, Wife Swap, we could do Surgeon Swap. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm just joking. That's not a good <laughs> idea. Uh, <laughs> so um, going back to the boards, um, you had mentioned there's this eight-year eligible period you have, mm-hmm. and, and some people Absolutely. choose not to, to do their, their orals or anything like that. Let's say I chose not to do my orals and my eight years expire. Am I, do I no longer have the ability to become board certified or is there just a different process I need to kind of re-go through to, to do that? Do you yeah, know? There, and I don't know the exact details, so I don't want to quote anything that I misrepresent what the board says, but I do know that there are ways I think you potentially extend it if you had to, uh, but you, you know, you'd have to write letters. You have to, you know, have reasoning as to why. It's a difficult so process. Yeah, it's not just like, oh, you know, we're talking about re- renewing driver's license type of thing. I can't imagine why you would just go, you know, eight years and not have a need to, and then or a desire to, and then all of a sudden, like, yeah. oh yeah, I want to do that. It, it almost feels like you'd have to just start from scratch in, in some sense. Well, and I think that's, that's part of why, if you're to that point, it's probably like some people are like, yeah. But it's, it's like anything. I think if you're dedicating and there's something you want to do, you think it's for either your patients or for whatever reason, yeah, I mean, you're just going to suck it up and do it. But, um, there, yeah, there are ways. I don't know the details and the nuances, but, yeah. There's I won't quote you on that, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to misrepresent All right. <laughs> so anything else you want to capture in this episode? No, I, I pre- you had great questions. I think, and these are questions that I get from patients, or, you know, family members, or, you know, laypersons, or whoever it is, and I like talking about it, because I'm, I'm going through the process right now, and I'm very open about it, you know, I, I'm not, I would never deceive my patient, like, yeah, I'm board certified, I'm not, so I wouldn't right. lie to them, but I'd tell them, look, I'm going through the process, it's a process, you know, it's like you said, anything like your kind of driver's license, it's a very <laughs> extensive process that I'm committed to do, and I tell, if, I'm like, if you want to go to someone who is has the stamp already, you know, that they have it, that's great. I'm fine with that. I can recommend people to you that I that I trust, you know, that are local or whatever. Um, but, you know, most patients understand and feel like, okay, yeah, I'm going through it, you know, I'm committed to it, I'm board eligible, you know, and so 
one last question, I guess, on this is, so you've done, you did 15 years of post-high school schoolwork mm -hmm. between college, med school, residency, yeah. fellowship, and then the last eight have been all geared towards this moment of being board certified. Uh, was there a moment somewhere in there that was kind of like, there's no turning back? Like, you had to just commit, like, like okay, like, if I go any further and I decide not to do that, like, I'm SOL, like, or mm -hmm. I'm put myself in a horrible position. Like, I know on the last podcast you did mention, um, like, halfway through residency mm -hmm. or med school, I can't remember which one it was. It must have been med school, I think. Med school, yeah. Uh, that you kind of had this yeah. come to Jesus moment, so yeah. to speak, of changing, but, like, even for the long term of mm -hmm. being board certified, because I imagine you would have wanted to be board certified even if you'd done a different field besides plastics, right? Yeah. So and like every board's a little different how they right. do it in their specialty. So yeah. like, was there that kind of pivotal moment? Like, okay, like I'm, I know I'm committed from, I'm committed from this point on. Like, there's no other way I can go from here. That yeah, like almost puts more pressure. on I you like that, that question. Point. Yeah. So I, to me, that moment was um, quite honestly when I was in training, in plastics training. In your, in your residency? Yeah, in residency. So I was in plastics training, and I think the moment I kind of realized, like, okay, like, this is the moment. It's, it was probably halfway through my intern year, you know? Because um, in my intern year, I did a lot of rotations that were, like, non-plastic surgery. And just for us that don't know, would that be your, your first year of residency? Yeah, so intern year, at least in plastic surgery, is, and a lot, a lot of general surgery and stuff, intern year is your first year of training. So okay. I, I did six years of what's called integrated plastics residency training. Integrated means that all of my training was in one program. You know, there's other ways you can become a plastic surgeon. You can do a general surgery residency, which is five or six years, and then do what's called a fellowship, kind of like I did, but a plastic fellowship for three years. So then you do you have to do eight years of training after med school. So general surgery and then that, or you can go the integrated route, so it's six years, so it's condensed. So I didn't do all the general surgery stuff, but I did do general surgery, but it was condensed. So like I said, my first second year was very heavy general surgery, intensive care ICU stuff, vascular surgery, you know, neurosurgery, orthopedic, all, all that. I did all that. So I can kind of work with all the specialties, see how they do things. And then second, kind of um, end of second year, third year is when I started plastics. That, so after intern year, and then that's probably when I realized, okay, like this is what I'm really going to do. Like I'm committed. Like I'm not turning back. I had no intention at that point, but I kind of realized like, yeah, like this is what I'm going to do. And if I have to do something else, like I'm going to have to totally shift. So that's, yeah, kind of That's just, I mean, <coughs> there's one, one part that's, like, so admirable about that, and then the other part just is crazy. Like, it's like, <laughs> you know, because I think about, like, m even my college experience. I went to college with, I was so sure I was going to do computer engineering. You know, uh -huh. I wanted to code. Yeah. And then I had a change of heart, not because of the coding aspect, because of other requirements to do coding. Ultimately, I ended up changing majors like four times, and mm -hmm. we're just talking about an undergraduate <laughs> degree, right? And mm -hmm. so, like, you know, I try to put that in perspective of what you're doing. Like, you, I couldn't imagine that there was that many opportunities for you to change that many times because mm -hmm. it is such a long-term goal to, like, get to this point of being potentially board certified, mm -hmm. becoming board eligible, mm -hmm. that you had to just commit at such an early stage and you know that's even though you were in residency at that time and that's a little more than halfway yeah it's still like having that long-term goal in your head like yeah. as your focus like that seems like that would be a weight on your shoulders yeah and i, I think initially you know because i'm just trying to survive intern year first year you're just like i don't know what's happening i don't even know what potassium is you know <laughs> i mean it is but like what how do i check someone's potassium right. level the First, I remember the first, I'll never forget the first day of residency, intern year. I show up on the eighth floor surgical unit in Loma Linda Hospital, and I walk in. I'm wearing like my white coat. I'm just like, you know, no idea. It's like July 1st. I walk in, this nurse comes up to me and she says, Doctor, your patient's, you know, phosphate levels are low, hypophosphatemia. What do you want to do? And I'm all, huh? I remember thinking to myself, uh, do we like treat that? You know? And so I said, um, Nurse, what would you do in this, or what do you typically do in this situation? She's like, well, I t we would typically order this amount of phosphate. I'm like, sweet, let's do it. <laughs> have you seen, have you seen Catch Me If You Can with Leo? Oh, yeah, right? yeah. The episode oh, where yeah. he's trying to be a doctor. He's like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> well, what would you do? And yeah. he's like saying, he's like, 
And do you concur? Yeah, concur. I concur. Yes, you concur. You concur. <laughs> that's that's kind of what, what it was. Imagined. Yeah. That's what I imagined. But I, yeah, I learned early on, like trust in nurse. I mean, obviously, I have to make medical decisions as, as the physician, but like nurses play a, a very critical role and do a lot of it. So and have you know good advice. And so I think that's part of being a physician too. Is yeah, like you have to at the end, you're you're kind of the one that's going to take the blame for stuff, take the fall, or be responsible. But you have a team that can help you. And so that's what I learned. Like the first minute, I was like, man. This nurse is awesome. Well, I feel like I was really good. Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for the interview for asking me questions. It's fun. I like to talk about this stuff, you know, because it it's something that, like I said, has gone through for a lot of many years and still going through and trying to figure things out. But you know, it, it's interesting to look back and just see from like day one, didn't know what phosphate was, you know, to now <laughs> doing surgery and you know stuff and like that. And what's funny is you could have had all of your friends, me included, fooled because you're like. Oh yeah, Jerry's in residency. Like he knows everything. Like he's a real doctor. <laughs> you know, even though we yeah. knew you weren't, but like, yeah. we can't, we couldn't from the outside picture that you were going through that type of scenario because we're just oh like, man. oh, yeah. I mean, he's gone through eight years of school already. Like he's got to know like a lot already. Yeah, I wish. So that's humble. I guess it's humbling to know that even you, who you know, you're so educated and you're so skilled, that even you had some point of vulnerability, vulnerability to like not feel like. You know, you didn't feel completely in control of the situation, so I think it's refreshing to see that, you know, you had to acquire all these skills the same way anybody oh, yeah. would acquire any other job set skills. Totally. And I think that's something, like, always, in my mind at least, is always something that I think about is, like, I don't know everything, you know, and I, that's the concern I have at some surgeons, um, and probably more than other specialties, but they're more have almost, like, this complex that they know everything, you know, and, and maybe they do know everything in their field, but... I can tell you right now, the more I do in plastic, the more I realize, like, oh my gosh, there's so much I don't know, and there's so much innovation going on all the time that it's, it's just a constantly evolving thing. So I think to be able to accept that and say, look, like, I don't know everything, and I'm willing to ask other people for help or, you know, people who may know more about something than me. You know, they to me, you know, that's part of, you know, being a good physician and surgeon in my mind is knowing when to ask for help. Don't think you can do it all by yourself. Agreed. All right, well, I'll let you uh, sign off like you normally do. All right. Do. Well, thank you, Ron. Again, this is Chit Chat with Chitty MD. I am Dr. Terry Tidler, Jerry Chittister. Um, really, thank you guys for watching this episode, if you're able to stomach all the way through it. Um, hope that you enjoyed it. Hope you got some stuff out of it. Please comment below. Ask some questions. You can DM me on Instagram or through Chit Chat with Chitty on Instagram. That's our other accounts, so Chittister MD or Chit Chat with Chitty MD. I'm more than happy to answer any questions. Um, happy to do lives, happy to do, I mean, I do actually live events here all the time. So keep an eye out for those. We do Q&As all the time, trying to you know educate patients and uh, population here. Um, I do go sometimes on KSL and, and try to educate and talk about safety in hand, you know, whether it's snowblower injuries, um, gardening tool injuries, um, ATVs, fireworks, these types of things I try to, you know, give you tips and things on how to keep yourself safe. So stay tuned for next week's episode. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but we're working. We have several guests. We like cutting it close and deciding yeah. at the last minute what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, because I'm going out of town this weekend. So this is going to We're gonna both going to be out of town. So. Yeah, you're going out of town too. But again, thank you guys so much for watching. Again, don't forget to subscribe if it's on YouTube. Click the bell to get the notifications. Really would help us as well. Um, you can check us on iTunes under uh, Chit Chat with Chitty, as well as Spotify and Anchor FM, as well as on Google. If you're on an Android phone, you can go to Google Podcast and check us out there. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Well, thanks. Mindy making? I don't know. That was one of our medical assistants, Stephanie, was working for her. Oh, she made them and bought them in, or someone made them for her? I don't know. Rainbow chip and funfetti cupcakes are my absolute favorite. Totally. Well, I don't even eat cupcakes or cakes, but when I get this, I eat Do you remember when it was off the market for like several <coughs> years?
I didn't really. I tried to go on eBay, dude. It was like three hundred dollars to get like one of the of the frosting, right? Frosting. Yeah, yeah. Because you get. I think Mindy is the one who told me that. Oh, they're back, and I'm like, what? And I went there and I like bought two. Yeah, because Katy Perry. Well, a big thing I saw online a couple years was Katy Perry made a big deal about it, and then Betty Crocker. Betty Crocker came out and or is it um, Pillsbury? Uh, Betty Crocker. Crocker. And they came out and said, oh, actually, bring it back. Though. Yeah, they had the cake the entire time, but then they yeah, tried to rip us off and say, oh, here's these <laughs> here, here's these sprinkles you can put on it. It's just the same. Like, no, those are hard. Yeah. And these rainbow chips are nice and soft. And like, yeah. like come on, don't, don't try to take me. Someone said, I think it's like white chocolate. That, that would make sense. White chocolate white and then, chocolate and then, and then they colored. colored. Yeah. That yeah. Was colored. It has that kind of kind of like little piece of chewy chocolate. Yep. Sauce. 